Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, great to have you guys with us. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dave, and it's a uh, a privilege to be a part of the, the team here at Hills. Uh, we've been in a series on the book of Joshua, working our way through uh, this story, this incredible story of Israel crossing the Jordan, inheriting the land that God, or taking hold of the land that God has appointed for them, promised them, given them, and continues to give them. And today we come to chapter 10. Last week, we were so blessed. Thea preached a phenomenal message on chapter 9. Amen. Those of you who are here, an incredible word as we looked at the, the value and the importance of making sure that we are discerning truth and not just walking unwittingly into lies. And we looked at this, this nation called Gibeon. Everyone say Gibeon. And Israel. And how Gibeon came to Israel deceptively. They, they pretended they were this far off nation And they deceived Israel into believing that. And without seeking the Lord, Israel made a covenant promise with Gibeon not to harm them. And then lo and behold, they discover that they're just next door neighbours. And it's a fascinating story. But as you turn to chapter 10, it takes on this whole new depth of meaning. Because in chapter 10, what we see is this phenomenal, incredible picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in chapter 9, Gibeon are enemies of Israel. They are enemies of God. And in chapter 10, you see an enemy of God becoming a friend of God. Is that not the gospel? That we were once enemies of God, but by the grace of God, by His His promise to us, by His sacrifice by His gift to us, we come under that covenant protection, covenant grace, covenant love of the sovereign King. That's who we are. That's Gentiles. This is the gospel. You see, Gibeon come with deceitful hearts and ragged clothes. We come with deceitful hearts and those those clothes is that picture of unrighteousness. Yes. You're going to have to help me preach this morning, church. We had Ignite last night. It's been a late night and I'm I am excited to preach this morning and you're going to need to match that excitement. I'm going to need some amens and some hellos from this congregation. Are you with me? Come on, that's better. That's where we're at this morning. And so we see Gibeon come with with deceitful hearts and unrighteous clothes. They come to Israel with that, that, that nature and yet they make this, this covenant with them. And yes, initially it's this deceptive thing, but when that lie is exposed, as we saw last week at the end of chapter nine, they actually, like Joshua's like, why did you do this? And yet it's all uncovered, it's all exposed. And they say, we're in your hands. And then the Bible says at the end of chapter nine, uh, verse 26, so Joshua saved them and they did not kill them. So Joshua saved them. It's this picture of the gospel. Do you see it? This incredible picture of the gospel of an enemy of God now becoming a friend of God. And as we come to chapter 10, that perspective is critical because the Bible actually now says that they are allies. Let's go to chapter 10, verse one. 
titled The Sun Stands Still. Now, Adonai Zedek, which actually means King of Righteousness, which we'll get to in a minute. King of Jerusalem. First time we hear about Jerusalem in the Scripture. That's where you go, ah, interesting. This most famous city on the planet. Heard that Joshua had taken Ai and destroyed it, doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a, pe- uh, had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their what? Allies. At the end of chapter 10, it talks about the fact that they'd become slaves or they'd become servants. At the end of chapter 9, I should say. At the beginning of chapter 10, it says that they have become allies. A picture of God's grace, a picture of God's mercy, that these people who are undeserving, deserving of wrath, have now come into His family and they are allied with the purposes of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Phenomenal. But here's the story for us. Here's the picture and here's what happens. Gibeon, the moment they become allies, the moment they come under the grace of God, the moment they are joined and united with Israel, something happens to them. Verse two, he, Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, and his people were very much alarmed at this. Now that's really poor translation the NIV has given us there extremely poor translation and you shouldn't take it at face value because what the word actually is in Hebrew, everyone get ready, is, is yare mahod. That's a really English, ver- Australian version of the Hebrew. But what it actually means is greatly feared or feared greatly. So very much alarmed and feared greatly. And so what actually happens is Adonai, in hearing that Gibeon have united with Israel, is terrified, you could even say. He's fearing greatly because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. So it's got walls, it's built up, it was larger than I, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jamuth, Jephiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, I should have brushed up on these names before I got up, you're king of Eglon, come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jamuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined forces. They moved up with their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. This morning as we come to the Word of God, I wanna preach from the topic, when the enemy attacks. When the enemy attacks. Because how many of you know, so often in life, when we make peace with God, when we come under that sovereign act of grace, when we surrender our lives to Him and we say, I'm yours, Lord, It's not always smooth sailing and sweet biscuits, amen? That actually all through Scripture, what we see is as we start to partner with the things of God, the enemy attacks. Come on, somebody. Is this true in anybody's life? Has anyone ever walked this out? Do I have anyone here who's a witness that sometimes in life, the enemy attacks? And here's what we wanna look at today is what do we do how do we respond when the enemy 
attacks. When I was a younger man, we had a group of about six or seven mates who would come over in the summer, we'd jump in the swimming pool and we'd play a game. We didn't really give it a name, but basically involved a noodle, a bit like this, without the hippo head, but this has a hippo head. And so there'd be sort of anywhere from six, seven, eight of you in a swimming pool. And at this stage, we're in our early 20s, so we're pretty well grown men. And the idea was that one of you at a time would grab the noodle and you simply just had to hold on to that noodle for as long as you possibly could. And everyone else's job was to remove the noodle from you or you from the noodle. And so what you would do is you'd have a moment and you'd clench your hands, you'd sort of wrap yourself around it, you'd do everything you could to get your right position. People all had different positions, some like wrapping it around like this and holding fast. Everyone's got a different idea of how they do it. You'd say, right, you ready? You'd be like, yep, go. And the only rules where you couldn't touch the face because you've got to look after the face. So no punching, anything like that. And you couldn't drown them. So you could hold them underwater for three seconds and sometimes they stretch that three seconds. And how many of you know when you're wrestling in a swimming pool, sometimes three seconds feels a lot longer than three seconds, anyone? So you'd be there holding on, you'd have seven guys jumping on you, like wrestling you and you're fighting for dear life, trying to hold on to this noodle as long as you possibly could. The moment the noodle was removed from you, then you'd switch and you'd go again. And you'd do it just for hours on end. You'd come out of the swimming pool completely exhausted, right? And oftentimes you would be able to hold on to that, this noodle for a really long time because you'd position yourself, you knew where the attack was coming from, you'd hold him, you're like, oh, I've got this and they're jumping on you, but you'd just cling on for dear life until my dear friend Pete, who later became known as Sneaky Pete, developed a new tactic. And rather than rushing at you, with everybody else to just dive on you, what Pete would do is he'd just slowly, like a crocodile, just sink below the water. (laughs) And you had no idea where he was. And what he'd do is he'd slowly but surely wait for the guys to get you and you couldn't see him anywhere. And he'd swim around and he'd grab his fingers and he would pinch the Achilles tendon. (laughs) And he'd just squeeze it as hard as he possibly could. Now, if you've ever had your Achilles tendon squeezed, it's really not nice, right? And so if he got hold of your Achilles tendon, you were done. Within a couple of seconds, you'd be like, ah, and you'd just let go, right? And so it became a thing that you had to know where the attack was coming from. You had to look at it like, all right, I know these guys are coming at me, but I need to be aware of where Pete is. Because if Pete gets my Achilles, I'm cooked. But if I know he's coming, there was no rule saying you couldn't kick and you'd be kicking and, you know, and if he got in the way and his face hit your foot, that was his fault, right? (laughs) So if you knew where the attack was coming from, you were fine, you could go for it. But the moment you lost him, the moment you were unaware to the attack of that enemy of Sneaky Pete, you were cooked. I think the same is true in the Scripture. I think the same is true for us in the wars that we fight. And when our enemy attacks, if we are not unfamiliar with his devices, he won't get our Achilles heel. Oh, come on, somebody. He won't get our Achilles heel. But so often we go about life, we get caught up in everything that's going on and we become unfamiliar. We are unaware. We are not ready. We are not prepared 
for when the enemy attacks and we find ourselves at the bottom of the pool wondering what just happened. We must be aware. And as we come to this passage today, there is so much gold in this for us as Christians in fighting the good fight of faith, in how to prepare, in what to do, in the steps to take in order that our enemy would not get our Achilles heel. Are you ready? Here's your first thing. Number one, you need to, we need to, in order to be ready for the enemy's attack, we need to know our enemy. Adonai Zedek calls himself the King of Righteousness, King of Jerusalem, but he is not the King of Righteousness. He is like one coming as the Angel of Light. He is a deceiver. He is not who he says he is. And really interestingly, Adonai Zedek employs four other kings. How many of you know that we have an adversary? We have an adversary. The Bible says that our enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for whom he might devour. We have an adversary, it's clear all through Scripture. In Hebrew, it is the Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, the one who would come against the people of God to steal, kill and destroy. But it is not just him. He employs other kings. It says that he is the prince of the power of the air and he employs other devices. And when you look through the Scripture, you see that our adversary actually employs a few kings of his own against the people of God. That there are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, we'll call that the demonic. There's the world that we live in, which is the social system and social structures that are contrary to the will of God, that would come against the people of God. And there is the flesh, which is the fallen nature in which we live, that desires the things of the world, often under the temptation of the demonic. Are you with me? And so we see that we have an adversary and we must be aware that we have an adversary, but we must not be naive to his schemes. And we must be aware of our adversary, we must be aware of our enemy, and we must recognise that we are under attack, that the church is under attack, that our enemy, that the world, that the flesh does not want to see the children of God walk in the purposes of God, does not want to see the kingdom of God established on earth as it is in heaven. But we must also be aware that our enemy is under our Saviour's feet. And we'll get here in a minute, but there has been a promise to Joshua that they will take the land And that Adonai Zedek and that all his kings, no matter how many he rallies or gathers, have already been devoted to destruction. They've already been devoted to destruction in the same way that it's prophesied in Genesis that the serpent would strike Christ's heel, but he would crush his head. When we are allied with the right king, we walk in victory. And I love that Mitchie, when he was leading uh, the, the latest youth camp, state youth games, the theme was from victory. How good's that? from victory. And that's how we have to know that when we approach our enemy, we are approaching him from victory. 
So we see, and I've got a bunch of scriptures that we, we can look at. Uh, Ephesians 6, which talks about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 John 2, 15, James 4, 4 talks about the world that we, we're fighting against and the flesh, Galatians 5, 17. And we could go through all the scripture, but I want you to know the devices of our enemy as he comes against us, that we would not be unaware. Number two, we need to know our battlefield. So one thing is to know our enemy. The second thing is to know our battlefield. Here's a fascinating thing. Gibeon, it says it's like a royal city. It's walled and it's strong. Gibeon is 32 kilometres away in a straight line hike to Gilgal where Israel is placed. And it's a thousand metre climb. I went to Google Maps. That is the exact equivalent from Port Adelaide to Mount Lofty, if Mount Lofty was half of itself again. 32 kilometres. So Port Adelaide to the top of Mount Lofty, if Mount Lofty was half itself again. That's the hike, that's the distance between Gilgal and Gibeon. So Gibeon is now surrounded by the armies of five kings. It's a walled city. And it's at the top of a hill. We need to know our battlefield. You see, the king of Gibeon, Gibeon's leadership, recognises what's going on here and they send to Joshua. And they understand that 32 kilometres with an army at a thousand metres elevation is something that is probably reasonably difficult to do. Ancient historians suggest that normally for an army with all of the, uh, the, you know, the caravan and everything that goes with that army, they would expect this to be about three days to bring everything with them. So Adonai Zedek and his kings, are you with me? The five kings, what are they thinking as they come, knowing that these guys are allied with Israel? What are they thinking? We got time. We got three days. We got three days to make an advancement and then maybe they're gonna come. But here's what he does. He underestimates the capacity of Joshua. He underestimates the capacity of Israel. He underestimates the heart of Israel and God's heart to come through for his people. See, Adonai Zedek, he understands the landscape, but he doesn't understand the heart. And we need to understand the battlefield. We need to know where we're fighting. And the, the Gibeon leadership in sending to Israel, know something about Israel. They know the victories they've had. They know the heart of these people. They know the tenacity of these people. They know the strength of these people. And so they send with an expectation that they will arrive on time. They know a battlefield. Do we know the battlefield? Do we know our Gibeon and our Gilgal? Do we know where the fight is going to be had? Do we know the strength of our walls and the weakness of our walls? Do we know our battlefield? And scripturally speaking, the battlefield is in the mind of humanity. It's in the mind of humanity. Let's let, have a look at this. Isaiah 54 verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. There's an old saying that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you know that's a lie? <laughs> We're going to talk about mental health 
mental illness tonight. Actually, it's the words that do the most damage in our society full stop. Because the battleground is the mind. Because our adversary is the father of lies. Because he is the accuser of the brethren. Because this is the battleground. This is where he comes against us. And it's so sneaky. It's like Pete sneaking under the water. You don't see it coming sometimes. Because we're, we're unaware. We, we must be not unaware of our adversary. We must know that he wants to come against us with lies, with accusations to deceive so that if we believe, as Thea preached last week, if we believe the lies, then he's got the footing on the battleground. But if we understand where the fight is and we can guard our minds and guard our heart, which is the wellspring of life, then we will be able to resist our enemy. Know the battleground, know where the fight is at hand. And when we know the battleground, then we must know our weapons. Know the weapons that God has given us to fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, for though, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What are some of the weapons? Let's have a look. Let's dive into Joshua 10. From verse six, the Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all night, everyone say all night, march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. After an all night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. I wanna just pick up a couple of weapons that we're gonna see. There's so many weapons in Scripture. I wanna bring out just a few. Here's number one. The first weapon that we need to be aware of is simply the weapon of endurance. The weapon of perseverance. Go to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Do you know, sometimes the greatest weapon we have is simply an act of perseverance. 
Sometimes the greatest weapon we have is simply just to stand firm. Sometimes the greatest weapon we have is to endure through the night. Just put yourself in Gibeon's shoes right now. Just pause. You've got five armies surrounding your city. And it says they send word and it says Joshua marched all night. Sometimes we make a promise where we get a promise from God. We hold fast to that promise from God. We're praying and believing for that promise. But it feels like the answer doesn't come when we want it to come. Anyone been there? Sometimes it feels like the night just gets darker. Sometimes it feels like things get worse, not better. Sometimes it feels like the adversary is just pressing in and in and in and we're wondering where our help will come from. We feel like our walls are about to fall over, but the Word of God to the people of God in the book of Joshua is sometimes He's on His way. His timing is His timing. He will come through, that is His promise, but He's calling us to stand firm then, to endure to persevere, to press on toward the prize, to stand firm. Sometimes this goes on and talks about the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Sometimes it feels like your shield is barely there. Sometimes it feels like you can't get the sword out and swing it. You've got nothing left other than to just stand. Can I encourage someone today? Keep standing. Keep standing, keep persevering, endure through the night for God is good and He will come through on His promises. It might not be in our time, but it will be in His time and He will bring glory to His Name. He will bless His Name and He will deliver the saints because that is His promise. Stand firm then, stand firm then with what truth buckled around your waist. Get a word. How could Gibeon stand firm? Because they had a promise. They had a promise from Joshua. They'd made an alliance. They'd come under the covenant protection of Yahweh, the very God who had walked through the Red Sea, the very God who had defeated Jericho and defeated I. They had a promise and they were holding fast to it. Joshua didn't have to come. Israel didn't have to come. They'd been deceived. They, They could easily have been like, well, we've got righteous anger against you and this is a great out for us. We don't have to come to you. Sure, we made a covenant that we wouldn't destroy you, but that never said that we wouldn't let anyone else destroy you. But this is the blessing of God. His covenant is for us, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, that He is the God of yesterday, today and forever, that He will prevail for His people. And when we're under His protection, we are under His protection from here to eternity. So get the Word and hold fast to it. And spiritually speaking, that's when we have the sword of the Spirit. There's another powerful weapon in all of this that we don't often talk about. And it's actually the weapon of forgiveness. Can you go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2? In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10 to 11, Paul's talking about forgiveness for the offender. Listen to this. He says, Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, 
If there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Why? In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. I don't know if you just heard that. Forgiveness is a weapon because a lack of forgiveness allows the enemy a stronghold in the battleground. But when we walk in forgiveness, the lies and deceit of the enemy has no stronghold. We see this and we often talk about high schools. I was a year nine coordinator for a number of years. Let me tell you, you deal with some unforgiveness. You deal with gossip, you deal with lies. And when gossip goes out, it takes root in young people's minds. And then they believe that lie. And where there's no forgiveness, there's brokenness, there's relationships tearing apart. It becomes a horrible, horrible mess. Guess what? It's not just teenagers. Anybody? It's adults. When we hold unforgiveness in our hearts, lies take root and bear bad fruit. But when we forgive, bitterness can't get a stronghold. Grace abounds more and more and the enemy cannot get in. And what you see rather than a tearing apart of things is a strengthening of things. As you and I learn to come together and go, hey, that was, that was a misrepresentation of truth. Let's get the truth out here. Let's walk in forgiveness and be stronger together than we ever were before. And the enemy will not get a foothold. Israel didn't have to forgive Gibeon for their deception. But because they do, they have a powerful ally, a city that was like the king's cities. They're all strong fighting men that therefore enables them to go and inherit the land that God had promised them to inherit. If there hadn't been forgiveness, there would be no alliance and they've lost a powerful group of fighting people against their adversaries. Are you with me? Let's not forget the weapon of forgiveness. We could go on and on. Hey, community is a part of that. Amen. What do they do? They send for Israel. Why? Because we're not supposed to fight alone. What do we always do when the enemy attacks? What's the first lie that he tells you? Don't share. Don't draw anyone else into it. They don't care about you. They're not for you. They're against you. It's all a lie. What is the lie to do? The lie is to isolate you. I had a friend send me a meme this week, which I didn't put up on the screen and now I'm wishing I did. But it was basically a picture that was titled, a photo of what it looks like when a Christian is not in church or not in community. And it was all these zebras huddled together and one zebra up here with a lion chasing after it. The isolated one is the one that the lion attacked. This is his ploy. He prowls about like a roaring lion. The lion can't attack a pack, but he will attack the individual. So come into community. Call on others to journey with you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. He wants to keep guilt and shame. And the first thing with guilt and shame is don't tell that person. Don't confess that. Hide that. Do you know what? The moment you confess something, the moment you bring it up, you realise, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Oh, that person actually loves me. And they don't just yell at me or think worse of me. They pray for me and it draws us nearer. Anyone been there? 
Why do we believe the lie? Let's do it in community. Don't allow the enemy to get a stronghold. And prayer. Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Stop filling your mind with rubbish. Stop it. The people of God are not supposed to fill their minds with trash. If you fill your mind with trash, you're giving an open door to the enemy. Eyes are the window to the soul. Don't put them on the devil's stuff. Fix them on the things of Christ and you will gird up, you will become strong and the enemy will not get in. It's actually so simple. But our enemy is cunning and he creeps down and he comes at us when we least expect it. Sometimes we need each other to just hold us to account. If you look at your phone and you've got two hours of Facebook time, something's not right. It's not healthy. If you've got two hours of Instagram, something's not right. Because what you're getting is a false representation of another person's reality. What you're hearing is lie after lie after lie and the enemy will use it to kill, steal, destroy, create envy and strife. Whereas if we get the promises of God into us, we will stand firm against the devil's schemes. I'm not saying you can't have Facebook or Instagram. Heck, I've got them. But what I'm saying is just watch how much time you're spending and giving focus and attention to something. And fix your eyes on Christ and just maybe we will find that we stand strong. Why, band, you can come up, we're gonna close. Why why can we know our weapons and hold fast to our weapons? Fundamentally, it's because we know our Saviour. Why does Gibeon call to Joshua? Is it just because they've made an alliance? Or is it because they know something about Yeshua, Yahweh saves? Is it because they know something of the God of the nation they've come to for help? I don't think they're that impressed with Joshua. I think they're impressed with Yahweh. That's why they made an alliance. And here's the thing. They call upon Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And in chapter nine, when they make, when Joshua says, why did you do it? He says, because we've heard the stories of your God. They don't, they're not even Jewish. They don't know the fullness of who God is. They've just heard a rumour. They've, they've seen something of God's power and they're like, I want that. We want that. I wanna be subject to Him. Joshua knows more. 
Look at Joshua's prayer, friends. Oh, this is about to get really good. After the all-night march, the Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord heard, watch this, watch this, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. More of them died from the hail than were killed by the Israelites. I said, more of them died from the hail. So the Lord intervened and did more work than an entire army. How many of you know when the Lord is on your side, no weapon formed against you will prosper? How many of you know that sometimes the Lord will allow the enemy to attack because the enemy is then exposed? Oh, that's good. You see, if the enemy had stayed where they were, they were in royal cities. And you've got five cities that you've got to break the walls through to try and attack, but all five of them became so arrogant and proud. You need to understand the devil is arrogant and proud. That was his sin. He wanted to be like God. So at some point he will reveal himself. He will expose himself because he wants worship and praise. And so what happens is the Lord allows them to attack because they come out of their defences in their pride and in their arrogance. And now they're like, boom. It's that, it might look like Gibeon's surrounded. This is that song that we sing. It might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You see, Gibeon thinks it's surrounded. It thinks it's in trouble. It sends for the God of Israel. He goes, I've got him right where I want him. Because now they can't sit in their houses. They can't sit behind their walls and the hail of God is coming. And the hail of God comes and it destroys them. And then watch this verse 12. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon. Ah, and you, moon over the valley of Ahajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before it or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Surely the Lord fights for His people. And I know the scepticism. Some of you are like, did it really, Dave? If the earth stopped rotating, gravity would fall and the earth would spin out of its axis and everything would go kaboom. Here's the thing, if you believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe this. If you believe God created the heavens and the earth, that He's big enough to do that, we have to believe that He's big enough to do this. If you believe that God is the one who upholds all things in His right hand, He is able. Now, when you study this, you'll see thousands of different scholars trying to explain what happened in a, in a, common, in a scientific sense. I just think God stopped the earth and held it there. I think that's called faith. And I don't have to understand it in the same way, I don't understand why when I plant a seed in the ground, it decides to send roots down that way and green stuff up that way. 
No one does. No scientist can explain it. We just know it does it. And we say, oh, but it's designed that way. By who? Mother Nature? Well, let me tell you, the God you call Mother Nature is actually the Lord of heaven and earth who created all things and upholds all things together. It is a miracle. Friends, this, the sun stands still, is something that we see every single day. Not necessarily the sun, but every single day you look around, there is a miracle right in front of you. When you walk on the grass, that's a miracle. When you look at a child's eyes, they are a miracle. They're a miracle. Two cells come together and for whatever reason, it produces a human being. How do cells know what to do? We actually don't know. We say, oh, stem cells or this. No, we don't know why one becomes a hand and one becomes a leg. We don't know why a soul comes alive in a living being. Unless we believe Genesis 1.1, God created it. He ordained it. And either nothing collided and somehow exploded forming all life or someone always was and spoke it into being. I choose to believe Genesis 1.1 because it actually makes so much more sense than the other option. It's more logical, it's more common sense and it's more glorious and it causes me to fall on my knees in awe at who He is and what He has done. But more than that, it gives me faith to trust that when I'm in the darkness, that when I'm trying to hold on all night, wondering when my victory will come, I know I serve the God who created the heavens and the earth and I will stand firm knowing that He who started a good work in me will bring it to completion because He is faithful. And even when I am unfaithful, the Word says, He will not deny His own name. And He has made a covenant with me. He has made a covenant with you. He has made a covenant with His people. So trust Him, hold fast to Him. I don't know what you're going through and maybe the lion is prowling, roaring. He is tearing at your gate. But let me tell you something, you serve the lion of the tribe of Judah and there is only one lion in the pride. And that lion can roar and make noise, but when he confronts the lion of the tribe of Judah, he flees in fear. And that's why James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you because all through Scripture, whenever you see the demonic at work, the moment Jesus rocks up, they must obey Him and they are terrified of Him because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the King of righteous, not Adonai Zedek. Who are we watching? Who are our eyes on? I feel like preaching, friends, and I know we have to close. Hold fast to the one who holds fast to you. He is our healer. He is our sustainer. He is mighty to save. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. you're going through. I don't know how the enemy is attacking, but I do know that surely the Lord fights for His people. And I do know that in some strange way,
God will work everything together for the good for those who love Him. And I do know that sometimes we pray for healing and it doesn't come and the night gets darker. And I do know that sometimes it feels like we have endured for the whole night and they're still not coming. And I do know that sometimes this victory may not even come in this lifetime, but just maybe the victory is for the next generation. But what I do know is that God is faithful and He is establishing His kingdom and He is the God of generations and He is on about His name and His fame and His acclaim. And it is not about us, it is all about Him. And when we die to self and come alive to Him, we have a promise that will never perish, spoil or fade. We have a hope that is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure in the holy place. Even in the face of the valley of the shadow of death, therefore I will fear no evil. Why? Because He is with me. And His rod and His staff, they comfort me. And I hold to a promise that He will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And He will anoint my head with oil and my cup will overflow. And I'm gonna claim that promise. And like Gibeon, I'm gonna hold Him to it and I'm gonna declare it and say, come and save me because my enemy is attacking. And I feel to pray for us. Can we have the ministry team come forward? We're gonna sing and we're gonna pray in a second. But the Lord has on my heart to pray for those today, pray for us today who needs encouragement, who needs strength, who you feel like you're in the middle of the valley, that you feel like the, the, the vision I had just here was a train tunnel where it's black and you can't see a single thing. And I feel like the Lord's saying, just keep walking. There's a light at the end. There's a light at the end. There's a light at the end. Keep walking. Get some people around you. Keep walking for the light will come. I feel strongly the Lord wants to encourage some people this morning. So would you come as we sing together? Would you come? Would you pray if someone gets up and you're sitting there next to them, why don't you get up to and come and be that support, be that community, be the Israel to their Gibeon and pray with them. That's the purpose of the church. We are the priesthood of all believers. Let's run together. Let's walk with each other. Let's believe and pray for one another. So let's stand to our feet, church. Let's pray and then I'm gonna invite you to come to receive prayer, to receive encouragement and receive the strength of God for the battle ahead. Lord, we thank You that You are good. We thank You that we can hold fast all through the night because Yeshua is on His way. Because Yeshua has come. The One who was and is and is coming again. We hold onto You knowing that You're the One who holds onto us. So Father, this morning, right now, as a church, No matter what's before us, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. We consider Him who knew such scorn from sinful men that we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. Strengthen the soul, strengthen the heart of my brothers and sisters this morning. Refresh, renew, 
restore in Jesus' precious Name. We trust You, Lord, the great I Am, the great I Am, mighty to save, our sure hope in times of trouble. We love You, Lord. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.